Welcome. Everything is fine. You are listening to Fork and Bullshirt, the Good Place podcast. I'm Vivian. And I'm Jason. We'll be the PC police of your afterlife. Today we're talking about Season 4, Episode 6, A Chip Driver Mystery. It was written by Lizzie Pace, directed by Steve Day, and it aired October 31st, 2019. Michael visits Bad Janet in Good Janet's Void, where she has been held captive for months. He tells her a story about a recent event in the neighborhood. The experiment shows promise when the subjects enjoy a ski trip together, but everything quickly goes downhill when Brandt writes a novel. Six feet under par, a chip driver mystery. Yeah, it's half spy novel, half murder mystery. It's also half submarine adventure, half erotic memoir, and half political thriller. It's also half golf tutorial and half commentary on society. So it's three and a half books in one. Brent asks Simone and Chidi to read his novel prior to his book signing. They find out Brent has written a racist and sexist book with insulting versions of Tahani and Chidi. Her name was Scarlet Pakistan. Her brown eyes were as brown as the brownest crayon. She had legs like Jessica Rabbit from that movie. Meanwhile, Jason offers guidance to Chidi, and in a moment of dance, John discovers Jianyu is actually Jason. He promises not to tell anyone else, even though he's dying to spill the tea. Eleanor asks Simone to forgive his transgressions, but she refuses. Simone can't contain herself with the book signing, and she tells Brent how she feels. Feeling blindsided, Brent leaves to cool down. Michael attempts to subtly counsel Brent and pushes him to apologize to the group. Brent fake apologizes, and Simone calls him out for it. He takes back his apology, the argument gets out of control, and it ends with Chidi punching Brent. Ah, middle-aged American male fragility. You know why they're called baby boomers, right? Because the tiniest little pinprick to their ego, and boom, they become babies. The team returns to Eleanor's office at a loss for how to move forward. Slowly, the team begins to brainstorm ideas, and hopefully they might get the experiment back on track. Michael tells Bad Janet that the team forging ahead exemplifies their desire to improve. Michael gives Bad Janet the manifesto he and Janet wrote, detailing everything that's happened with the humans so far. He chooses to be better than he was yesterday, and he lets Bad Janet go. Time jump! Whoa! <laughs> Unexpected! I knew right away when I saw that that you would start this episode with a... So, we have a time jump. My reaction is exactly like Bad Janet's reaction. Who could have predicted that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we start with the time jump. They say that we are now six months in, so we only have six months left of the experiment. So they're halfway through, which is interesting because the next episode, episode seven, is also going to be the halfway mark for this season. I wrongly thought that there was only 12 episodes this season. Turns out there's 14. So there's still a little bit more good place left, guys. I know we're all sad about it being almost done, but there's still a little bit left. We're only halfway through. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with this time jump, I think. It allows us to move things forward in a way that we don't need to see everything that's happened. Yeah. I think I'm okay with this. Um the part I was most surprised about at the beginning is that Brent has been making improvements. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, okay, that's good. Like he was, they were chatting, him and Simone had a bit of banter. And so it seemed like things were on the up and up. Right. I mean, he's making improvements, but he's basically having less of a hissy fit. Right. And that's an improvement for it, Brent. 
<laughs> it is. And it's t- it's tough because it's hard to look at it through that lens. It's like, okay, let's look at this individual and see that he, for himself, is making progress when really we would expect a man who's been on Earth for... Almost 60 years. Almost 60 years, we find out, would be more mature than this. You would expect that. Everyone so. progresses at their own pace. He's and some taking... people don't do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> he has snail pace. Yeah. And so, you know, he should be judged for his own pace. Okay, sure. And I was okay with that. And then, of course, by the end of the episode, we see that he hasn't changed at all. No. So, that's fun. <laughs> but anyway, I just want to <laughs> rewind a bit back into Janet's prison in mm-hmm. Good Janet's Void. Yeah. There's a nice little painting on an easel there, which is just a stock painting. <laughs> <laughs> you, you looked it up, huh? I looked it up, and it's just a stock painting you can buy on, like, wall26.com, and you can buy it on Amazon and Walmart. And surprisingly, there's no author. Like, there's no artist. Well, I mean, someone had to make it. Someone had to make it, but it's not credited anywhere. Oh. On any of these websites. So what that means is that you can essentially decorate your sitting area, loft, whatever, just like Bad Janet's cell. Right. Bad <laughs> Janet isn't an artist. She probably thinks art is stupid and lame. So she's right. like, I'm just going to grab something lame from Amazon and just plop it there. <laughs> See, I don't think that she created this jail at all. I don't think that she decorated it. So good Janet filled it with stuff that she thought that bad Janet might occupy her time with? Because there's books there. I don't think so. See, I I also took a moment to look at what was inside bad Janet's jail. And other than the painting, there's flowers. There's specifically their orange calla lilies, which symbolize rebirth, change, and growth. Um, the jail itself is a hexagon, which is a shape that we frequently find in nature, think honeycombs, um, and also a pyramid light. And the pyramid is said to be a symbol in which some cultures believed helped to connect them with the earth and the heavens above. So I just think that all of this was designed to kind of like make her think of nature and earth and Progress? beauty and growth and change. Yeah, I feel like this was created by Michael just to influence her in, in some way. Okay. I think that, like, just judging by the surroundings, I think that she'll turn on the bad place. It's hard to tell, but I think that the way that she was behaving in this episode, especially at the end, I think that it means that she's going to have some sort of growth. Right. Nature is always changing, ever evolving, just like human beings. Yeah. um, Do you think that maybe she'll gain some insight from Michael? Like, she'll actually take what he said and consider it or think about it. Or maybe when she goes back to Sean and then Sean starts spouting off all this crap and then Bad Janet might be like, well, some of this isn't accurate anymore. Yeah. I've seen firsthand. So maybe... Will Bad Janet be the catalyst to bring everything full circle? I don't think I would be happy with that, but I think that she could play a really important role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before she took over for Good Janet, Bad Janet had never had any kind of relationship with any human being. She didn't understand what it meant to be human. So even though she says that she knows everything humans have ever done and how $400 yoga pants ladies are not vaccinating their children, she doesn't, she doesn't really get what it is to be human, the complexity behind that. 
and the context in which a lot of these actions are done. So hopefully now that she's actually spent time with human beings, she's seen them try to do good things and try to be better. Mm-hmm. And she's seen Michael, who she knows is a demon, improve as well and be genuinely kind to her for no benefit of his own. Right. I think it could spark some sort of change in her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially her facial expressions near the end. They were very not bad Janet. Mm-hmm. I agree. What did you think about her walk away when Michael finally let her go? Felt like she was very suspicious. Like, as soon as I turn my back, he's going to marbleize me. Or right. he's going to trap me in another jail. Or he's actually just going to blast me with the, the lie detector and just yeah. goo everywhere. Like, she's expecting him to trick her yes. one more time. Yeah, because he's a demon. And that's what bad right. people, that's what Sean would do. Or that's what other demons would do. She's surprised, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I wonder if on her way back, she's like, Oh, what a sucker. He let me go. What a turd. And then changes. Yeah, like, I th- I think that's most likely for yeah, what a, Janet. What a weirdo. Why would he let me go? And it reminds me a lot of Jean Valjean and, <laughs> and Javert in Les Mis. Like, Jean Valjean has the opportunity to kill Javert. But he lets him go. He's, mm-hmm. And Javert's like super suspicious. Like, why would he let me go? Like, he had the chance to kill me. Mm-hmm. He's a common criminal. What's mm-hmm. going on? And then that's where he's doing his song at the top of the building. And he's singing about, has my whole life, like my belief system been a lie? Like, there's only been good or bad. Like, what's going on? And then he decides to kill himself. Spoiler alert for Les Mis. I mean, this is the 1800s we're talking, but (laughs) yeah, I think his whole world becomes shattered. He just can't take it. Like he Mm -hmm. just decides to kill himself. Yeah. He lived in such a black and white world that seeing gray for the first time was completely overwhelming. Yeah. And he just didn't know how to deal with it. So it's it's kind of a similarity there. Yeah. And it's hard to live in a gray world, right? Like that's kind of what this show is telling us since last season that it's not easy being human it's it's virtually impossible to be good enough on earth right Mm -hmm. so it's really hard to live in this messy gray space of maybe trying to do good actions but having negative unintended consequences and for bad janet she sees everything in black and white Mm -hmm. humans are bad we have to punish them end of story there's nothing else there and Michael has at least given her like a tiny sliver of gray. Mhm. So, hopefully she'll keep making that gray, I guess. Yeah, like this is kind of a weird analogy, but in Pleasantville, they're oh. literally living in the black and white world. Yeah. And then suddenly this little flower becomes red and everyone's freaking out and like and then the color starts to spread and everything starts to spread and it's it's heresy and it's <laughs> it's wrong and bad and then just it creeps into the world and everything gets color. Yeah. So everything know. is more complex and vibrant and mysterious and mm-hmm. stunning. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So I just I mentioned earlier that I wouldn't really be happy if Janet Bad Janet was the catalyst for this season. And I think it's because Bad Janet is not entrenched enough in our main, like our main cast. She's not part of that main cast. 
So I think if she was the one to really flip this season on its head and change things completely, I think that that would be a little bit too convenient, too unsatisfying, I guess, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about it. So I'm hoping that she will be a part of the change, but not that she will bring about all change because that would be much <laughs> too much. Well, it would still be our humans that caused it. It would just be Janet. Bad Janet would be the one to bring that info to the bad place. But no, I, I think I agree. Like, yeah, it just wouldn't be satisfying mm-hmm. because we've spent so much time with them. Our good guy gang is what I'm calling them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So. We want our heroes to save the day, right? Just one little note on the prison before we Mm -hmm. jump into the meat and potatoes of the episode. It really reminded me of the, I think it was called The Forge in Westworld Season 2. Yeah, I don't know. I just immediately thought of that when the episode started. I was like, oh, Westworld Season 2. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we've been wondering all season long when Simone was going to finally ask why or how Brent was in the good place. And we were really close. I mean, she didn't have to ask. She didn't ask why he was here or how he got here. But she did ask why they still have to deal with this kind of racist, sexist, objectifying behavior in the good place. Super great question, Mm -hmm. Simone. So I am wondering if maybe that's the next question is how did he get here? Because he actually makes a point to say, hey, I was good enough to get into the good place. You ever heard of it? So maybe that's going to spark something in Chidi and Simone wondering how he even made it here at all. And even John, I think John would probably start wondering that question too, because John has made improvements. He's actually learned from Tahani and he seems to be a better person. He's not revealing Jason's secret this episode. Of course he wants to and I get that, so right? Bad. Gossip is it's so much fun, right? We get it. But he doesn't say anything, you know, he doesn't try to get into the middle of any drama with anybody. He doesn't try to stir up drama. I mean, he doesn't defend anyone else. He doesn't come to, you know, help Simone and Tani with their arguments against Brent, but he's still made some improvement. Yeah, John also, he kind of has mentioned in this episode, he says, the good place is kind of meh. It's kind of a... It's season four of Downton Abbey, which I didn't watch, but apparently is a snooze fest, according to him. So John may have inadvertently kind of clicked into something Mm -hmm. and be like, well, it's, I mean, yeah, it's heaven, but like, eh, it could be better. I think that's what the good place would be like, though, really, because. Yeah, because it's not the best place. No. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um. But the true good place would likely be void of conflict. And conflict is what creates a lot of drama and intrigue, even in, well, especially in storytelling, right? It keeps things interesting. Yeah. So, you know, different levels of conflict, obviously. But the good place would likely be void of it. And so it would probably be kind of boring. Yeah. You know, as much as we 
long for paradise when you don't have anything less than ideal, the ideal becomes kind of dull, I would imagine. Repetitive? I mean, I could certainly take a vacation for like a year in the good place. Paradise sounds wonderful. But yeah, probably get a little bored. I loved watching his expression during the Brent and Simone standoff. <laughs> like, he's in the background just kind of, like, looking back and forth. And he's got this <laughs> grin on his face. Like, he should be eating popcorn. Yes. Like, oh, man, this is juicy. I've been waiting so long for this. Yeah. And I think that if the argument itself hadn't bid something so real and true to the political climate and social climate that we have now... I think that could have been added in like Janet fetch me some popcorn and then just you see him munching on this little bag as he's watching the two of them. I yeah. think that could have been funny. Not in this context, though. Right. I think that would have been a little uncomfortable. Before we start talking about Brent, I just wanted to mention Eleanor. I like that she's facilitating her own style of employee of the week. <laughs> I, I'm happy that she's getting really into this leadership thing and... It suits Enjo- her. Yeah, and enjoying being part of a team and doing something that is meaningful, meaningful work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's nice that she's motivating others and she's praising people for their accomplishments with the humanity savior of the week and, of course, the hottest savior of the week. Um, Janet has won seven times. Seven times. That's crazy. Tahani has won five times. Jason has won three times. <laughs> and Eleanor has won ten times. So Eleanor is just landslide taking that victory. <laughs> exactly. So that's 25 weeks. So yeah. that's, yeah, about six months. Yeah. I'm surprised that Tahani isn't higher. But you know, good for you, Janet. Good for you. And poor Michael has zero so far. Yeah. Ted Danson's a good looking man. Sure. But apparently he needs to do some squats. Maybe pop that booty a little bit. <laughs> do some twerking. I Jason bet- can teach him the, the Magic Mike body roll oh my god i need to see that (laughs) oh that would be so fun especially after how badly ted danson flossed last season i want this to happen okay (laughs) um what was i gonna say i just got completely distracted by that um v's head is in ted danson's magic mic roll right now okay um, right. I was gonna say that all of the Eleanor and Michael shippers, yeah, that's a thing, are probably very disappointed that Michael hasn't made it onto the board yet. They're like, oh, Eleanor has a secret board. Don't worry, that's all Michael. <laughs> secret board. <laughs> Someone's writing fanfic about that right now. Secret board. <laughs> Super hottest of the week. And it's all Michael. Yep. So, I, uh, I quite appreciated... Uh, that this episode that was a lot of fun before we jump into brent i just wanted to quickly backtrack into michael and bad janet's back and forth he tells her that you're judging them too quickly Mm -hmm. and i think that feels really important to me and might relate to what happens in the future in the afterlife they're punished for eternity Mm -hmm. for what they did on earth yep the time that they had on earth i don't know 80, 100 years. Yeah. Eternity is eternity. (laughs) So maybe they should be given the same time they had on Earth 
to rehabilitate or to have a chance to rehabilitate. Okay. So maybe give them a break every hundred years or so. Give them uh, a chance to go through some rehabilitation to get better. And if they don't get better for, you know, a few years, dump them back in. Torture them some more. Okay, but how would that work? So, for example, what you're what you're saying would be, you know, 80 years on Earth, then you die, go to the bad place. Right. And then spend, what, another 80 years in the bad place? And uh, then... Yeah. And then they give you a sort of leave of absence for 80 years. You're like, okay, you Where know you what? can improve. Exactly. But then the thing is... Are they going to be judging people solely based on their actions, based half on their actions and half on their motivation for said actions? Because I think that you would get into a lot of situations that are really similar to season one of The Good Place when Eleanor's motivation was just to not be tortured for all of eternity, right? She wanted to get into The Good Place. Mm -hmm. So you feel like people's motivation would be very skewed. Yeah, it would definitely be, okay, I've been tortured for 80 years. I know it's not fun. It's not great. So I think, yeah, I will make an effort. Mm -hmm. But really, it's motivated by, I don't want to be tortured again. Right. I don't know. I think it would work better if it was a 80 years on Earth, then you die, and then you go into this sort of limbo space, this rehabilitation space Mm -hmm. for another 80 years, and they say, you have, uh, you know, a chance to get better. But even then, that still keeps the bad place as a running system, right? Right. Which we talked about a couple episodes about as being not a good part of the system at all. Because mm-hmm. no one really deserves to be tortured for all of eternity. And as you were saying before, their time on Earth in comparison to eternity is microscopic. Yeah, it's a blip. Yeah. So it just got me thinking about maybe there should be given a chance but you're right about the motivation yeah but as eleanor and michael have realized like Mm -hmm. with brent who cares about his motivation right now as long as he's doing good we'll worry about the motivation afterwards right and maybe we'll trick him into being good and he won't even realize it. i don't think it's working with brent i think that's what they're showing us well they're gonna they're gonna set jason's robes on fire (laughs) yeah i we'll see yeah, will Brent be a bystander and just watch and laugh? Or will he try to put them out? Or will he put them out and then arrange a parade for himself for right. putting Look, them out? Right, I'm so friggin' good. I I saved this guy's life. And Aren't then, I the best? And then he's gonna write another novel about himself as a heartthrob firefighter, you know, saving... I don't know. Who's also an astronaut. Yeah. And a bodybuilder. Yeah. So this is a complicated subject. So let's talk about Brent. (laughs) Okay. So I want to start off this discussion with a quote from a TV Guide interview. Um, In this interview, Michael Schur said about Brent, Not that he's irredeemable. I wouldn't say anyone is irredeemable. But the whole problem with people like him is they never get self-reflective enough or introspective enough to even allow for the possibility of redemption because they don't think they're doing anything wrong. Because in order to become a better person, you have to believe that you have weaknesses and flaws. You have to look inside yourself and consider your actions and think about how there could be something better that you might be able to do. That's it. That's Brent. A hundred percent. I mean, surprise, surprise, Mike sure understands his characters, right? Shocker. Um, But it's a hundred percent that and that is really what I 
been trying to say and haven't said eloquently at all this entire time. Um, But really, it requires that person to be humble enough to understand that they're not always right about everything, um, to actually listen to other people's perspectives, and to even entertain the idea that they might be wrong about something. That they made once. a mistake. <laughs> right? And Brent is 100% not that person. He shows us that in this episode. Yeah, he shows us that very well. Yeah, he really does. In his apologies. Yeah. Quote, unquote, yeah. apologies. Yeah, the actor Ben Koldike did a really great job this episode, actually. I thought he'd made some really good character choices when... <laughs> And this is just small, but when Brent gets upset and he starts pointing at people with his pinky, it just felt so Trump. I hated it. And he gets so upset. You can see that he's like shaking and crying when people are calling him out because I think for him, this is the first time he's ever experienced this. So it feels like this onslaught, right? Just this attack and he doesn't know how to deal with that because no one's ever called him out for being awful before. Mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) It almost for a second made me feel tiny bit bad for him because I always feel a little bit bad when any human being is crying. But then I remembered everything he did in this episode. Writing a book is such an accomplishment. And it is. Absolutely. It is. The good guy gang, as I'm calling them (laughs) they're put in a really tough spot and i think we've talked about this before um but when brent asks them to read his book and introduce him at the signing yeah and tell everybody how much they loved it and it's such a difficult position to be in when somebody a friend comes up approaches you and asks you what your opinion is on their hard work what they've done what they've uh, i don't know whether it's a piece of something that they've accomplished Mm mm-hmm and it sucks hard. It's such an uncomfortable position to be in because they're somebody that you may not love, but they're still somebody that you spend a lot of time with and you have to be with them. You don't hate them, but you just, you maybe it's a coworker or something like that. And what do you do? You have to be honest in a good way, in a way that doesn't hurt their feelings Maybe just do what Eleanor suggests and state facts. I disagree. Yeah. I I think because of who Brent is and who he's repeatedly shown himself to be, which mm. is a narcissistic, sexist, racist jerk. Right. Um, I don't think any way other than being incredibly direct mm-hmm. and pretty viciously honest is going to work with him. I mean, we see that in this episode when people are sidestepping around what they're trying to say Mm -hmm. and they're trying to be gentle with him because they don't want to upset him they just don't want to upset him because they know how he's going to behave and they know what's at stake yeah the experiment exactly which 100% I get that but they're tiptoeing around him yeah and they shouldn't have to right right his behavior is his behavior It's his responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the way that he reacts to you being honest with him is his responsibility. So I think that Eleanor, I think that Eleanor and Michael are just trying to be gentle because they don't want to cause drama, which I understand you don't want to cause drama when 
this much is at stake. I get that. But at the same time, then you're telling Brent that whatever he does is okay as long as he says the words, I'm sorry, even if he doesn't mean the words, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. And he gives you the fakest, worst apology of all time. It's just not, no, I, mm, no. I think it's very different if it's your, if it's your friend or your significant other or somebody important in your life and they've said or done something that is offensive, I think that you can definitely approach them in a much more gentle way for sure. But I think if it's someone who is like Brent, who's repeatedly shown that they're, they don't care, um, then it's. It's a lot of emotional effort on your part to try to be gentle with someone who has never cared enough to be gentle with you. But at the same time, I don't think Brent realizes what he's doing is insensitive or racist or sexist because he even says that. He says, well, I don't have a sexist or racist bone in my body. So he just doesn't get it. He's so obtuse that he has no idea that he's being offensive because he's never been told He's never been called out, like you said. So maybe all they need to do is, I mean, all they need to do, right? Um, That's a mouthful for Brent. Um, They need to say, look, what you've written is awful. It's racist. It's sexist. And this is why. Instead of just straight out saying it's racist. But he won't let them get to that point. That's the problem. He blows up and he just freaks out. Because he doesn't you can't, think. You can't have this conversation with him in a logical way. Mm-hmm. He's not going to allow it to happen because the second that you say what you wrote is offensive or even what Simone says, she just says that his portrayal of Scarlet Pakistan, which, <laughs> by the way, that name automatically made me think that if this book was turned into a movie, Scarlett Johansson would play Scarlet Pakistan because apparently she can just play anyone of any race. <sighs> Anyway, when she says that that portrayal isn't exactly flattering, he flies off the handle immediately. She didn't say that it was racist, that it was sexist, that it was objectifying. Because he genuinely thinks it is flattering. She said it's not flattering. That's being gentle. And he doesn't get it. He's immediately like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. You guys are ridiculous and you're all being mean women and I'm going to leave now because it's all your fault. He's a baby. He's almost 60 years old. If he doesn't realize that saying someone has big yabos or whatever he said (laughs) is not offensive, then I don't know what planet you are living on, dude. Planet Norwalk. (sighs) His dad built it. But he made it better. Oh my god, by 3%. (laughs) So are we saying there's no saving Brent at this point? I'm saying that there's no way to save Brent if he will not... Be introspective. Take, yeah, take a moment to look within himself and to not only that, but listen to other people. Trust other people's experiences of things, right? You don't know what life is like when you are a different person, right? So take what Simone is saying and understand that and take what Tahani is saying and Chidi and Jason and everybody around you. Stop only listening to your own voice. I actually really want to talk about his non-apology. What did you think of that? Uh, It's hard to listen to because it's so real. Like, people will do that all the time. They'll apologize. Oh, "Oh, I'm sorry you interpreted it this way. Or I'm sorry 
I'm sorry this made you uncomfortable. I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable, which also like says if, because only if you're uncomfortable, I'm sorry. If it didn't make you feel uncomfortable, I guess I'm not sorry. He says, I'm very sorry if you were offended, which puts all the blame on other people. And it's it's just something a lot of people do. And I'm not sure if it's because they don't feel guilt or shame for their behavior or because they think that saying the words I'm sorry is a good enough apology. A genuine apology includes taking responsibility for your actions, acknowledging the hurt that you caused and validating that other person's feelings and making a commitment to change your behavior. Anything less than that is not an apology mm-hmm. in my books, right? He's got to do that. And I think maybe if he could get to that point where he gave us like a real apology, then I would feel a little bit more confident in him being a redeemable character on this right. show. Right. And also thanking the person who had the courage to call you out is a good idea too, because it's hard calling people out. Eleanor and Michael had a really hard time doing it this episode. They kept wanting to just sweep everything under the rug and they kept focusing on Simone's reaction to the events instead of Brent who caused them in the first place. Right. Because it's easier to not confront Brent, right? Oh, absolutely. It's easier (laughs) to just back away and not cause a scene. Yeah. And let that person continue to be awful. Yeah. It... I just don't think Brent is going to be capable of a genuine apology because he doesn't think anything he did was wrong. He's never listened to anyone else. He doesn't understand and he doesn't care about the impact of his words or his actions. And we see way too many people like that. You know, if you go on social media every day, there's going to be someone who is fake apologizing for the way that they behaved or outright refusing to apologize for the way that they behaved. Mm -hmm. Recently, Ricky Gervais posted that he was going to dress up as a trans woman activist um, for Halloween. He has made countless transphobic jokes in his uh, stand-up comedy and online, and he refuses to apologize. He just, he apologizes in advance. He says, oh, I'm sorry for this joke that I just wrote and that you're going to see in months from now. No, he's not. He's not sorry. Comedians are... Very difficult to judge, <laughs> but no, I, I'm not that I'm saying it's not like I totally yeah. agree with you, but a lot of comedy is offensive. Yeah. It's just straight up offensive to some person. Yeah. And I mean, you look at South Park, it's made, you know, it's mark on society by being offensive. That's its shtick, but it's never offensive in it's tough the way they do it is so well done that they offend everybody equally but even then he like that's what brent says right at the beginning of the show he says i'm an equal opportunity offender like i joke about everybody Mm -hmm. i make jokes about everyone and it doesn't matter because my maid was black right so it's fine is it (laughs) i don't think so is your maid okay with it probably not (laughs) it's it's tough you know i just think that you need to listen to the communities that are being affected by your words right like they're the ones who are gonna know right if it's causing them harm or not so should we leave it to those communities to speak up and if they don't then we don't speak for them i think being a good ally means that you need to go out and do your homework 
The internet is available to all, basically. I mean, not all, really, but it's available and there's a vast wealth of knowledge out there about a lot of the things that people make mistakes Mm -hmm. about, right? Like, basic stuff. Don't be transphobic. Don't be racist. Don't be sexist. These things. And yet people are still doing them because Mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't care to seek out that kind of information from, you know, people that have already done these mistakes and, and people who have helped these people understand why they were mistakes in the first place. And no, I don't think it's fair to say, okay, well, I'm just going to go around and do whatever I want. And then any person of color or any marginalized person in society is going to call me out and that's their duty. No, it's not. If that person expends the energy to talk to you about something, it's likely because they think that you can improve. So you should be thanking them, but you also shouldn't expect people to be walking around paying attention to everything that you do and hoping that they're going to correct you. That's not their job. They're not literally the PC police, right? Like, (laughs) which is an awful term and I hate it, but... That's the idea is like, they're not policing you. They're not there to do that. Like, no, they're living their lives. People are just living their lives out in the world, trying to do that with the least amount of pain possible. So maybe don't be a Awareness (laughs) is so much more important than policing, in my opinion. Like, as soon as you start to enforce a belief or enforce something, then that's where you get the most resistance. Mm. So... Awareness is a great way to get around that. Yeah. No one likes to be told what to do. Exactly. But people can sympathize with other people's stories. Right. And their experiences, even if they've never had that experience. And I think that's part of the problem is that Brent is part of this most privileged group in society. He's white. He's male. He's rich. He's straight. He's cisgender. He's neurotypical. He doesn't have any mental illnesses as far as we can tell. And he's not autistic. Um, he's able-bodied. So it's not to say that you can't be an ally if you're some of those things. I mean, you yourself are a straight white male, uh, straight white cisgender male, actually. And you are still someone who can understand that you have a certain privileges, privilege in the world. And, and there's just things in the world that you're never going to experience, right? Like, like being rich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i think i'm also yeah not gonna experience that uh subscribe to our patreon we don't have (laughs) one one, (laughs) um but you know this is this is who brent is he's never experienced racism he's never had to worry that he's gonna be fired for being trans and you know he doesn't take precaution when he goes out for drinks with friends like a like a woman might right Mm -hmm. so Brent is the type of person who isn't willing, but needs to be willing to learn about the issues that marginalized communities are facing. And maybe he would gain sympathy. I don't know. It's tough because they're talking at the end of the episode uh, about Chidi running a class on empathy. And I'm not sure that a class is the right setting for Brent. He doesn't want to be told something. He needs to learn it for himself. Right. As frustrating as that is, maybe they'll find a different way to do that. I so don't know. What if so. they put him in another body and gave him a month of experience as different minorities 
let him get a firsthand experience like the judge went down to earth and because she kept on saying that (laughs) yeah but she's also a black lady (laughs) so So turn brent into a black lady let him see what it's like you know turn him into any Uh, number of anything and give him a blast of life oh i don't know i don't know how that would go i don't know how that would be received by the audience to be honest but alternatively they could give him memories maybe of people right they're not gonna do like a slideshow here are all the minorities we're gonna turn brent into (laughs) these are all people that have crappy life experiences yeah no that's not exactly what i meant but i mean we all go through our uh our own challenges of course um no one gets through life totally unscathed but maybe they'll show memories of chidi's life for example right it's so uncomfortable watching that that entire argument at the end saying he feels very attacked and then he and... pushes chidi it's awful i'm so I hate proud it. of chidi though yes Just i am i'm very proud that punch um, that was heard around the world yeah but maybe he sort of needs to understand and it's awful to have to like baby someone who is this old this could be an opportunity for us to see some flashbacks on chidi's life or to honey's or simone or jason yeah even i think what you said about memories even dumping all of our main characters memories into him uh, to to experience Mm -hmm. be like well there's a different life yeah like these people had it pretty rough. Yeah, and it's not to say, I mean, Chidi and Simone clearly managed to get to university, have fairly well-paying jobs. It doesn't seem like either of them were in terrible life situations. Mm-hmm. But it's pretty fair. Different. I would say it's fair to say that they've encountered some sort of racism right. at some point in their life or sexism or that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's It's really tough because a part of me doesn't want to focus on brent anymore part of me wants to just go i'm washing my hands of you bud like this is your responsibility at this point you are an adult i am not here to walk you through this and the other part thinks that maybe the show is trying to make some sort of comment on how to help the brents of the world right Right. because we have this like what feels almost like an epidemic of people that are behaving in this way and we can't wash our hands of all of these people as much as we would like to. These trolls and stuff on the internet, they're still part of our society. How do we hopefully positively influence them so that they will make those changes to be better people than they were yesterday? Which is obviously what this whole episode is really about. (laughs) Um, A lot of this stuff, just a, a little note, uh, a lot of this stuff I talked about, about the, the um, a, a genuine apology and like how to be an ally and that kind of stuff, um, I learned from Francesca Ramsey at Cheska Lee on YouTube. I'm going to put some uh, links in the description if you want to go and check out some more stuff. You know, she's got some really informative videos. So, so on a much lighter note, <laughs> let's talk a little about uh, Brent's writing. That book is something. It's a classic case of men writing women. Oh, boy. And doing it really (laughs) bad. I mean, there's plenty of authors that can do it competently, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's some. Obviously, if you're a male author, then 
you can't only have men in your books. That would just be kind of weird. And same the other way around. Yeah, I mean, usually people have a healthy mix of genders in their book. Right. But, yeah, not to say that men can't write women. Um, They just need to be... A little less gross about it? Yeah, a little more (laughs) conscious of the way that they're talking about their characters and the way that they're characterizing their women as well. Because we have seen some real doozies. Um, (laughs) Just not only in this episode, but online as well. We picked out a few of our favorites. Yeah, there's a Reddit or there's a subreddit called Men Writing Women. And it's full of fun little things like... I'm hard to miss, I'd like to think. A little tall, but not too tall. A nice set of curves, if I do say so myself. Pants so impossibly tight that if I had a credit card in my back pocket, you could read the expiration date. The rest of my outfit wasn't that remarkable. Just a few old things I had lying around. You know how it is. <laughs> oh, boy. And we also get some really fun satire on that subreddit. Um, there was a tweet saying, a Twitter challenge, describe yourself like a male author would. And Jennifer Weiner wrote, her breasts entered the room before her far less interesting face, decidedly maternal hips and rounded thighs. He found her voice unpleasantly audible as his gaze <laughs> sorry, sorry. as his gaze dropped from her mouth, still talking to her cleavage. He wondered why feminists were so angry all the time. <laughs> her voice was still unpleasantly audible. Unpleasantly audible. <laughs> and another of my favorites. I'm not like other girls, she said, golden skin shimmering in the summer sun, and she wasn't. She was a rotisserie chicken that I bought, took outside, and performed a small skit with in the parking lot before eating in my car while sobbing loudly. (laughs) (laughs) So Brent is definitely not the first person to write women this way, and he probably, sadly, will not be the last. No, he won't be. Yeah. I really did, uh, I did like the cover of the book. It was ridiculous. It was fun. It was a fun amalgamation of all those cheesy crime novels. Yeah. And all the different themes of his novel, you know, a little bit submarine, a little bit submarine military story, a little golf, a little commentary on the world, a little bit of crime. I liked that the outline of the victim had high heels on. Mm. Because apparently that's a thing. Um, And the would have been a number one bestseller. That was the cherry on the, on top of that Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Brent's book actually reminded me of another book called Trigger Warning. And the summary honestly sounds like a joke. Oh boy. In bold letters, political correctness won't save you. Former Army Ranger Jake Rivers is not your typical Keldon college student. He is not spoiled, coddled, or ultra-lib like his classmates who sneer at the soldier boy. Rivers is not triggered by microaggressions. He is not outraged by male privilege and cisgender bathrooms. He does not need a safe space or coloring books. Jake needs an education. And when terror strikes, the school needs Jake. Without warning, the sounds of gunfire plunge campus campus into a battle zone. 
a violent gang of marauders invade the main hall, taking students as hostage for big ransom money. As a veteran and patriot, Jake won't give in to their demands, but to fight back, he needs to enlist his fellow classmates to school these special snowflakes and the not-so-liberal art of war. This time, the aggression isn't micro, it's life or death, and only the strong survive. This is amazing. I want to read this <laughs> right now. We need to get this book. All of this stuff, ultra-lib, triggered, microaggressions, male privilege, cisgender bathrooms, safe space. Oh my god. <laughs> This, it sounds, it's honestly, it sounds like. They generated their own. Right, right, yeah, right, right, it, right. it sounds like an alt-right generator spit out a summary of a book. Right. And uh, this is just funny, has nothing to do with the book. But when I looked up trigger warning on Goodreads, I found books that you may like if you've read this one. And I found Shark Hunting in Paradise Garden. Yes, Paradise Garden, like Adam and Eve. Okay, okay. So, shark hunting. Great. Yeah. Twilight, True Love, and You, Seven Secret Steps to Finding Your Edward or Jacob. Oh, that's just thoughtful. Yeah. Oh. Helping you find your match. Yeah, helping you find your emotionally abusive boyfriend. Uh, and, last but definitely not least, is Pounded in the Butt by My Own Butt. which which is part of a series written by i believe it's no i believe it's this guy named chuck tingle who writes these like ridiculous books where there's always a hunky lead that has a really weird love interest like a dinosaur or his own butt i love it or a submarine or something like that just always weird stuff But yeah, so, you know, some quality books to go alongside Trigger Warning. There's also some uplifting subreddits um, that I really enjoy for when hope is in short supply. Uh, Subreddits like Humans Being Bros and Made Me Smile are always fun ones too. Yeah. Eye bleach is always good. Yeah. Eye bleach is also a good one. It sounds bad, but it's like, I need to bleach my eyes after this kind of thing. So it's all wholesome stuff. Yes. Yeah. So the activity with the humans ends with Cheaty punching Brent in the face. Obviously, I mean, I don't condone violence for resolving disputes, blah, 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 blah. He's going to lose a few points for that. Really? Yeah. Physical violence against another human. (laughs) Yeah. You lose points for that. I know. It was... I just can't say it was unsatisfying to see him get knocked on his ash, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. I I, honestly, I do think it is a good thing because I think that this conflict could leave, could lead to positive change. Just like we were talking earlier, John said that the neighborhood's kind of boring now. There hasn't been conflict between the residents and in storytelling, conflict is what motivates change, right? Right. When a character faces challenges, obstacles, hardship, adversity, tests of character, will, all these things, they lead to growth. And there hasn't really been a lot of opportunity for growth in this neighborhood. Right. That reminds me a lot of episode three or four, I believe, of season three, The Snowplow, where Michael and Janet keep shoving away the problems, (laughs) snowplowing away any issues. 
Yeah. Which would inevitably lead them to grow and change. Yeah. So. Getting that winning lottery ticket for Eleanor. Giving them all that technology. Yeah, all that technology. Making sure that Tahani and Jason never get intimate. All these different things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they have been inadvertently doing that again this time. Slightly less, obviously, and their goals are obviously different at this point. But, yeah, they're still doing it. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's interesting, right? We're drawing parallels in this episode between Eleanor and Brent because both of their motivations are not great. Like, season one Eleanor, her motivation was just not to get caught. Yeah. Up until about the end. And even at that point, it was still part of her motivation, for sure. Um, but can you blame her? No, that's the thing is you can't, you can't really blame her, but it's, it is part of her motivation and that they didn't rely on that conflict for the entire season too. They, you know, they had Eleanor reveal herself and then they added more conflict in and more conflict in and that Mm -hmm. kept the characters on their toes. It kept, you know, the audience on their toes and it kept them growing. So we've just had a lack of that. Right. And, uh, yeah. So I think that this conflict could lead to good things. And also the good thing of Chidi punching Brent in his stupid face. It was very satisfying. It's growth for Chidi as well. (laughs) Yes. He makes a decision. Split second. Just wasn't even spontaneous. Like he was talking about, like he was talking with Jason earlier on in the episode. Doing something spontaneous. And wha-bam, right in the kisser. Yeah. So. So we're ending this episode on a good note? Yeah. A high note? Sounds good to me. Let's get to our mailbag. My My mailbag mailbag brings brings all the Brents to the yard, and I'm like, I'm gonna gonna punch him. him. Damn right. right. I'm I'm gonna gonna wreck wreck him. him. I teach him, but he just won't learn. All right. Our first piece of mail comes from Emma, who draws some pretty interesting parallels between Mormonism and The Good Place. Mormons believe that after you die, you either go to spirit paradise or prison to wait out until the second coming of Christ. If you were a good person who received all of your saving ordinances, then you go to paradise. If you were a bad person or a good person who never joined the church or didn't know about Jesus or whatever, then you're in spirit prison. It's not necessarily a bad place, but you don't get to hang out with God or your family it's just supposed to provide you an opportunity to learn about Jesus and receive ordinances you didn't get on earth. Jesus himself is even supposed to come and teach you. It's basically giving you another chance because God, because God recognizes that living on earth is hard and your circumstances might not allow for you to do the right thing all the time. I kind of like that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, it's a very similar situation to what we're kind of in. Yeah, I have very very limited knowledge on mormonism um but that's kind of an interesting concept i i like that and yeah like what i assume you were going to say before i cut you off i'm sorry (laughs) is that the spirit prison is kind of what this experiment is right it's like you know you can learn to be better and maybe you weren't given the opportunity on earth to learn so in this spirit prison bad place experiment yeah you're given an opportunity but i'm not sure uh in mormonism if if you're aware like do Mm. you know that you're in the bad spirit prison like do you know but spirit prison doesn't even sound bad no it's, it's like the uh it's like purgatory one version of purgatory right okay 
Um, I like what Emma says about God recognizing that living on Earth is hard and your circumstances might not allow for you to do the right thing all the time. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, that's Michael's realization is that it's not easy to be human and to live on Earth all the time. It's not easy to always make the right choice. Some people... It's- don't really have the opportunity to make some of those choices or the means yeah yeah it's so. hard man yeah <laughs> huh. interesting i really uh i really like that the next point is uh, about eternal increase and mormons believe that the only things that you take with you to the next life are your memories your relationships and your education once you die you have the ability to increase those things forever since you're now alive for eternity this concept is called eternal increase so you can keep having kids in heaven as long as as long as you're a cishet couple, and you can keep learning. You you're still you, but the possibilities for growth are endless. The accounting department has always said that point totals are set in stone once you die, but the humans have all demonstrated that growth and change is possible off of Earth. Even Michael and Janet, who never lived on Earth and are immortal beings, can learn new things and become better individuals. They would have no grounds to try this new experiment if some form of eternal increase wasn't present in the show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they finally in this season get to have all of their memories. And Michael and Janet have had these relationships with these human beings since like for over 300 years at this point. Mm -hmm. And their education is not only like formal education, but the knowledge that they have, the experiences that they have and the lessons they've learned from that. And now that they all have their knowledge... Yeah. Yeah, they were given their memories back from Michael. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely. Yeah. Very cool. I like that word too, eternal increase. It almost sounds, and I mean zero offense to any Mormons that are listening, it kind of sounds like a video game thing. It's like XP is how I imagine it. Right. It's you like can, you, ke- you, you keep, keep getting levels. You, you keep, keep leveling up. Exactly. You keep leveling up in the afterlife. Right. Yeah. This next part is kind of interesting. Um, becoming God. There's kind of an idea where Mormons will get their own planets after they die. People have theological arguments about how literal that is, but uh, Emma says that she's here to say that most Mormons do believe that humans can become as God and therefore be gods in their own right. After all, if you live forever and have the ability to learn everything that God knows, you can eventually be just like them. So lots of people believe that we can be God and have spirit children who will live as humans and die and eventually become as gods too. And that God already, and that God actually already went through this process. And this is a very tricky thing to think about. And also, um, Emma says that she hasn't been to church in a couple of years, so be gentle with the presentation. <laughs> <laughs> There's not much about this in the show, as Emma says, um, but... Eleanor is now leading the neighborhood. She mm-hmm. is becoming like an architect mm-hmm. or one of the... She took the role of the architect. The role, exactly. Yeah. She did that for herself. That was, you know, her choice. Yep. <clears throat> and she still has to rely on Janet and Derek. Yep. But I, I'm not sure whether the show has been clear about her powers. Does she have any? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't think she has any power to do anything in the same way that Michael or Janet have powers. No, I don't think so. But she has influence, right? Right. Which is another kind of power. Mm -hmm. So as Emma says, you know, 
Eleanor was a human who did not live a great life, but she worked really hard to improve in death. And now she has these skills. She has the motivation to provide for other humans the same opportunity for growth, right? So it's kind of like she's become this god and these um, these human beings are in a way like her spirit children and she's giving them the same opportunity. Right. And perhaps what could happen is as each neighborhood's architect or person like Eleanor yeah. has grown and gotten better, then they'll run their own neighborhood. And as that neighborhood, the inhabitants grow and get better and become better people, then they will go on to spread out and do their own thing. Could you imagine a neighborhood of Brent? Actually, you know what I can, because it's out there. But regardless. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's just uh, very interesting. I... Obviously, I would have never made these connections, but Mm -hmm. that's so cool. I really enjoyed this email, Emma. Thank you so much for sending this to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very, very cool stuff. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. A lot of good connections here. So another thing that isn't male, exactly, but I'm going to put it in the bag anyway. Hank Green just released a Vlogbrothers video essay today. Um, it titled, is it still possible to be a good person? And he did this little video essay about the good place and about the lessons that he learned from season three of the good place. So I just wanted to list out some of the lessons. He said, number one, not everyone has the capacity to weigh every choice and that does not make them a bad person. Uh, he got that from the big noodle story that Jason says when his buddy big noodle just didn't have the opportunity to make it to every rehearsal because he was taking care of other people. He didn't have a chance to, you know, research what tomatoes to buy. Right. Number two, it is harder to be the person who seeks complex truths rather than retreats into simple lies, but it is also better. So someone like Chidi who seeks out moral truths about the universe versus someone like Eleanor who just, you know, like to stay in ignorant bliss, it's still better to be the cheaty, even if it does cause you some pain. <laughs> Number three, morality should only be one part of that curiosity because it, if it because if it's only about morality, then you only view the world through the lens of judgment. So like Doug Forsett, who only sees the world as this giant game and how many points he's racking up and he can't enjoy the beauty of life. Yeah, he couldn't sit back and relax. Yeah. And enjoy a radish sandwich. He couldn't enjoy his life and probably because of what he was doing, he wasn't actually creating a lot of happiness in the world either. Mm -hmm. And number four, our accounting departments, the ones in ourselves, will always be flawed and so we should not judge ourselves or others as though they are not. You know, so Hank was talking uh, in this video essay about how that season was really hard for him because he really thought about how true it was that there's nothing untainted in this world. You know, your favorite book is written by a misogynist or that chicken sandwich that you eat that's delicious means you hate gay people. Right. Mm -hmm. And and he was wondering, you know, what's the metric by which we say something is better so, yeah, maybe oat milk is better th- for the environment than almond milk, but is it still bad if I drink this? And, you know, is it, does it outweigh if I do good things? And 
just the panic that it kind of brings for him. So I thought that was that was fun and interesting. A callback to uh, season three and still kind of the panic we feel in this season with this experiment. There's a lot riding on mm-hmm. this and it's Everybody's scary. actions and everything that everybody says is just, oh, is that going to screw things up? Or, yeah. oh, are they going to be able to come back from that? Or And we have Matt from the accounting department just sitting in what Mindy calls Darth Vader's turd in her living in her living room. And we have no idea how the point calculations are working and what they're going to be once this experiment is over and if all of this will have been for not, right? Pretty scary. Just amping up the anxiety, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and our last little piece in this mailbag, which is definitely not mail, but we're going to put it in the bag because it was hilarious. Um, this is something we found on Reddit by Reddit user Scrawled File Fish. They say, And I'm so glad Cheedy laid him the fork out. Do you not see his guns, Brent? Cheedy got his bachelor's at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, his master's at Flexus A&M, and his PhD at Harvard. Get wrecked, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my favorite comment of all time. That was brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much, Scrawled Filefish. You probably don't listen, but we mad respect. Yeah. And you know, Brent, maybe you'd look at Cheedy differently if you saw his shirt off. And yes, I mean that in both ways it can be taken. (laughs) So there you go. (laughs) Last little thing I'm going to say about Brent. He plays golf with an assistance filter. Are you freaking kidding me? Mm Mm-hmm. This guy. Oh, uh, golf is really old. Did you know that? Golf is generally considered to have started in 1457 in Scotland. Yeah, super old. However, oh. is that does that explain the pants? Probably. And the hat? Scottish? However, a primitive form of it may have been around as early as 1297 by the Dutch. Oh. Yeah. Huh. So that that's old. That's very old. Michael's golf outfit is definitely like 1900 Scotland. Right, yeah. That outfit was ridiculous and also adorable. <laughs> Cuz little pom-pom hat on ted dancing very cute <laughs> oh uh lastly also john's favorite philosopher is bethany uh frankel who is a reality tv star from the martha stewart version of the apprentice and eight seasons of the real housewives of new york city so yeah i'm no wonder she's not surprised i'm surprised that we haven't seen her as one of the caricatures on drag race in snatch game I'm surprised no one's done Bethany Frankel yet. Maybe she's just not memorable enough. Oh, harsh. Wah, wah. Okay, so that brings us to the end of Forking Bullshit, a multiverse radio production. If you're a fan of the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your bad Janets. Just do it before you let them go. If you want to join the conversation, we're on Twitter at Multiverse Radio and Facebook at Multiverse Radio Podcast. Please use the hashtag FBullshirt, and you can always send us your long, rambly emails about your thoughts, or Mormonism, or whatever you want, at www.multiverseradio.ca. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Vivian. And I'm Jason. Bye! Bye.